0: If you're an NBA fan, then I'm sure you know the name Ernie Johnson. For quite a few years now, he's been the kind of lead host of the TNT basketball pregame show called Inside the NBA. Here you see him flanked by these co-hosts who he does the program with, Shaquille O'Neal, Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley. One thing you might not know about Ernie Johnson is that during his very successful broadcast career, he became a Christian, and Jesus changed his life. Uh, Ernie and Cheryl had two kids, a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. When uh, Ernie came home from work to find his wife saying that she felt like maybe they should consider adopting a child. Uh, More than that, she was sure that she wanted to adopt a child, and she wanted that child to maybe be from the country of Romania. She'd been reading a lot in the news about Romania and the hardships it had experienced as a country. It spent decades under communism. The economy was uh, really bad. People were impoverished. They didn't have enough money to care for basic needs. And so a lot of Romanian families ended up just turning kids out, putting them out on the streets and abandoning them. The kids that had disabilities, they were put in a home known as the home for the deficient and unsalvageable. So Cheryl and Ernie, they talked, they figured out a plan. Okay, we think we could probably adopt a child. We'd like to adopt a girl under one with no permanent disabilities. So, okay, with that in mind, Cheryl heads off to Romania with this group. She's outside of of the capital Bucharest visiting this orphanage when she finds a phone to call Ernie. I'll let him pick up the rest of the story. On one of those rare occasions when we were able to secure a phone line, Cheryl detailed that visit for me. As she waited in the lobby, a nurse brought out a child. It was a boy, not quite three years old. He'd been abandoned in a park at birth. He could not walk. He could not speak. Hun, I I met this little boy today, the first child I saw. The nurse told me, do not take. Boy is no good. Ernie, he has so many issues. He's so much more than we said we could handle, but I don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to him. Her words hung there, demanding a response for 10 seconds with neither of us speaking. Sometimes you're captured, even on a scratchy telephone line halfway across the world, not by the words you're hearing, but how they are spoken. Those words were coming from some inner recess of Cheryl's heart, some place not easily accessed, some place for which only an abandoned, hopeless Romanian orphan had the key. Suddenly, All the things we talked about and all the things we'd written in the required adoption paperwork about the severity of a child's condition we were willing to take on became secondary. Then bring him home. That little boy that Cheryl brought home from a mania, his name was Michael, turned out he had a very severe form of muscular dystrophy. This is Michael later in life with him in a picture with his father, Ernie. They said he wouldn't be able to speak, but he did speak. And when he spoke, he spoke about cars. He was fascinated with cars. He he couldn't tell you a lot about people, but he could tell you what kind of car they drove and every detail about that car. So he was fascinated with cars, but he was also fascinated by the phrase, love you too. He'd heard it so much around his house that every time he talked to people, he would just say, love you too. Love you too. Michael died in 2021 of complications from his disability. He was 33 years old. When Cheryl traveled across the world looking for a child in need, when Ernie heard the story of Michael and said, bring him home, they were both expressing the heart of God. Here's how Ernie put it himself. He said, it's rooted in our faith, our Christian faith, we're instructed to care for orphans and widows. We don't want credit. We don't want pets on the back. We're getting a heck of a lot more out of it than they are. When Ernie said we're instructed to care for orphans and widows, he's talking about the book of James. We met James last week on Easter, and we saw how Jesus changed James's life and how that change of James's heart expressed itself in a care and concern for the vulnerable. Next week, we're kicking off a new sermon series. For the next several weeks, we're just going to focus on Jesus. But I just wanted us to take us back, probably because I was convicted by uh, James's call to care for orphans and widows last week. And so I'm just making us all go back one more time to that verse before we leave it. So let's read it, James chapter one. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widow in their affliction. See, what James said is that God's heart is for the orphan and the widow. And the way he sets it up is he contrasts worthless religion with religion that he says is pure and undefiled. Now, when James is talking about worthless religion, he's not saying that all religious rituals and religious traditions are worthless. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that religion, religious traditions and rituals that focus only on our behavior, religious rituals and tradition that miss the heart of God, well, that religion is what is worthless. And when you read your Bible, you know where James got it right? I mean, this is a theme throughout all of scriptures. I think James, when he wrote this verse in his book, might've been thinking about Isaiah chapter one. Now look, this is the prophet Isaiah. He does not mince words. So buckle up and have some thin or thick skin. Here we go. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. So all the people of Israel, they're going around doing what they're supposed to do. They're they're making these offerings, these sacrifices, just as they're instructed. But God says, I got enough of this. I don't need any more. I don't even take pleasure in it. Your offerings have become meaningless. Then he says, your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, convocations in other words, these religious holidays, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts, your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Now, when God talks about the kind of religion that he hates, the kind of religion that he finds to be meaningless, detestable, The kind that he is weary of of carrying. The kind that's a burden. What what is it that he's talking about? What kind of religion just makes God sick? Well, it's the kind of religion that overlooks the needs of the oppressed. It's the kind of religion that doesn't make room for the orphan and the widow. Now, Now, why does orphan and widow keep coming up in the Bible? It's there from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end. Why are orphan and widow the pair that, that keep uh, repeating itself? Well, because the orphan and the widow in that culture were absolutely helpless to meet their own needs. They couldn't find work that they were capable of doing. There was no welfare system for them to fall back on, no, no SNAP, no aid for dependent children. Instead, they're completely on their own, they're completely helpless. And, and so what James is doing is saying the orphan, the widow, but what he really means is, yeah, the orphan, the widow, and everyone else who's vulnerable. Because the religious observances that, 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 that James says are empty and worthless are the kind that don't make room for them, that aren't looking out for them, that aren't helping them. It's the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the people in the margins of society. And so we're to take Isaiah one and just put it in our context. I think it would say something like this. Look, you can come to church and you can sing the songs and you can pray the prayers and you can listen to the sermons and you can go to your small group Bible studies and, and you can do all of that. But it's absolutely meaningless if you don't care for the oppressed. God hides his eyes he plugs his ears to your prayers if you don't have a heart for those people who are on the margins of society because the test for genuine religion is is to the degree that we extend aid to the unlovable to the people who are hurting widow orphan immigrant the people who are disabled the people who are poor the the the, the, the people in prison the, See, because the reason that, that, that we should care for all those people is because God cares about them. In fact, God's heart is for these people. Psalm 68. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. See, it's this constant theme. We've seen it in James. And then we see it in the prophet. Now we see it in the, in the book of Psalms. A father of the fatherless, a defender of the widows is God in his holy temple. So if you were to meet God and he were to tell you something about himself, here's what he would tell you. Here's how he describes himself. If you wanna know what I'm like, I am a God who cares for the vulnerable. So that when God tells us to care for the orphan and the widow, to care for the vulnerable, what he's doing is he's saying, care about the same people that I care about. I want you, if you're my follower, I want you to have my heart. And my heart is for the people in need. Now, where do you get the power to do that? Because we all know that caring for people in need, it takes a certain amount of of sacrifice. It's, it's, It's not easy to visit the widows to care for orphans, to foster children. It's not easy to come alongside immigrants and help them adjust, to help people who are in poverty, to mentor uh, students that are at risk. It requires a certain amount of sacrifice, of of time, emotional energy, uh, control over your life, freedom. It requires maybe a sacrifice of money. So where do you get the power to, to do that? See, we know the what. The what is to care for the orphan and the widow, but but what's the why that drives me to do it? Deuteronomy. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. So now, just a couple things, notice, right? Is that, first of all, we're, we're now in Deuteronomy. So we've been in James, we've been in Isaiah, we've been in the Psalms, and now we're in Deuteronomy, and we find the same thing. God's heart is for the orphan and the widow. But now we have the immigrant, the foreigner, added to it. And, and, and why do I do this? Well, here, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why he commands you to do this. So we know the what, and the why has something to do with them being slaves in Egypt not sure exactly what that means yet, but we'll get there. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. So look, when you're going through your your field and you're harvesting stuff and and you realize that, that some got left behind, you don't go back there to get it. But instead, leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your tree, don't go over the branches a second time. Instead, leave what remains. And now... Are you getting it yet? For who? Well, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains. By now, we can all say it together, right? Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. God thinks we're dumb uh, because we're dumb. what What I mean by that is just that we don't get it, right? Sometimes you just have to keep repeating until you get it. It's not usually that we can't get into our head, it's that we can't get into our heart. So so God says it over and over and over for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And now now here we come back. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So we come back to Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. So this is a why that should drive us to be willing to lay down our life for for the vulnerable. Here's the why behind it. And it has something to do with Egypt. Well, if you go back in your Bible, you realize that Israel was enslaved in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. And there in their captivity, in their slavery, in their misery, they cried out to God. And God met them in their need. God met them when they were vulnerable. God met them when they were hurting. And so what he's saying is, you should, of all people Israel, you should be willing to help the fatherless, the the, the widow, the immigrant, the, the, the vulnerable, because you were there and I helped you. And now this is our chance to go, okay, we were not in slavery in Egypt, but we were in slavery to sin, We were in slavery to to, to the sin that made our life miserable. And in our greatest moment of need, God did not walk away. God did not shake his head and cluck his tongue. He came and intervened in our life. So what he's saying is that of all people, we should be the ones who want to help the vulnerable because God helped us when we were vulnerable. So you see, this isn't like some self-righteous pity party. It's not like this, oh, bless their heart, look how needy they are. It's, this isn't a, a sense in which, well, we're the good people because we're going to help all the poor people. It's not a look at us, we're special. It's not that at all. I mean, I think, honestly, if that's our attitude in it, then it probably makes God want to vomit. This isn't a time to, 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 to make ourselves feel better at the expense of people who are in need. No, no, no. This is the time to go, we were in need and God met our need. Therefore, we joyfully have the opportunity of sharing the love that God showed us us, to do for others what God did for us. Because you see, because you see, God traveled halfway around the world, even further looking out for people that were in need that he could help. God saw you in the home of the deficient and unsalvageable and said, bring him, bring her home. That's what God did for us. It says this much in the book of Ephesians. So he decided long ago to adopt us. He adopted us as his children, with all the rights children have. He did it because of what Jesus Christ had done. It pleased God to do it. When Paul Knight was a pastor in North Dakota, he and his family sponsored a child with, through Compassion International Many of you, I'm sure, do that. If you haven't had the opportunity to do that, you should. It's a great way for our family to to not only help someone, but to build a relationship with that person uh, over many, many years. Well, Paul wanted to take it the next step, so he and his family went to visit this 10-year-old girl in Ethiopia that they had been sponsoring. They knew that their child, they were sponsoring a single mom who uh, worked at some kind of like bar. That's, they weren't sure. It turned out it was kind of a local bar where they both lived and she worked. They took gifts with them in order to, to, to give them to this girl. And, and uh, uh, she's about 10 at, at the time, right? So, so they're talking to her in this bar slash home, and the crowd starts coming in. So the guide, the person who is with them, kind of looks at them and says, okay, now it's time for you guys to go. And Paul's like, well, look, we came all this way. We just want to spend a little bit more time with her and talking with her. And so the guide allowed it to happen, but more people started coming in It started getting louder and louder now. And it says, okay, now it's getting dangerous for you to be here. You must go now. And so Paul p- points at the girl they had sponsored and says, well, what about her? And the guide said, well, this is her home. And, and, and Paul asked, well, will she be safe? And the guide says, well, not really safe, but it's her home. And Paul's like, well, what, do you, what does that mean, not really safe? And the guide says, it probably means exactly what you think it means. Well, Paul asked, what's she supposed to do? And the guide says, here, this is what we tell the girls this age, that if you're in trouble, scream and run to the church. Scream and run to the church because if you get to the church, the church will be a place of safety. The church will be a place you're protected. The church will be a place that you are loved. If people in our community make it to the church, people in our community who are vulnerable, who are hurting, if they can make it to the church, will they find safety and security, love and protection? If that church has the heart of God, they will. Now, I know that all this at some point just gets too overwhelming. I've been sitting in it all week. I get overwhelmed by it. So I'm gonna take you through a process I've been taking myself, and I don't know, it's kind of helping me. Maybe it'll help you, we'll see. Uh, So it starts with this, is I think there's two errors that we can make, and we don't wanna make either one. Now, the first error comes from Pope Francis, And of all things, it comes from a tweet of Pope Francis, which might be the only redemptive thing ever to happen on Twitter. Okay, so I didn't know the Pope tweeted, but the Pope tweets. Here we go. We must not give into the lies of the evil one when he tells us there's nothing we can do in the face of violence, injustice, and sin. So here's the first error, is that to think there's nothing we can do. Like, the world is so broken, there's so many people in poverty. There's so many people with disabilities. There's so much of a need. It's overwhelming. Therefore, I can do nothing. The Pope says that's a lie from the evil one. And there's a lie that we believe that leads us to just take care of ourselves because there's nothing we can do. It's all too big out there. Now, in a moment, I'm gonna try to tell you that maybe you should go to that foster meeting because here's the thing is that There's all kinds of little things that people can do. I bet you can pray. I bet you could donate some stuff so that when a kid goes into a foster care family and they have absolutely nothing, because sometimes it's just an emergency situation, that that they could have like a little basket of just kind of some basic essentials that they need. I bet you could do that. And there's all kinds of little things that can be done all the way up to some pretty big things. So if one error is to say, it's all too big, I can't do anything. The second error is to think, I've got to solve all the problems. Like I must do everything. Like I've got to be the savior for everybody. I've got to go fix every wrong. And we can't do that either, right? Because you and I are finite. Only God is infinite. You and I are limited. Only God has all the resources. We can't be people's saviors. That's God's job, not ours. We can't fix our own life. How are we going to fix anybody else's? But God can. So because we can't do, it, do everything, instead what we do, what we've said before, and other Christians have said this too, is we just want to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. We want to do what God has called us to do in this specific situation a little bit. We wish we could do more, but we can't do everything, but we can do something. So maybe you want to just go to that foster meeting just to find out what are some small things that, I could do now, first, I just want to say thank you to all the people at the crossing who have been fostering for years. Uh, I want to say thank you to all the people at the crossing who've been helping the vulnerable, who serve at Loaves and Fishes, who help the homeless, who uh, work with uh, victims of domestic violence, who uh, lo- look out for immigrants or people who just released from prison. You guys have come alongside the needy and the vulnerable inside of our community. And I just want to thank you for your leadership. It's also probably smart to say, just so we're all clear. That, that kids in the foster system are not orphans, right? They, they, they have a family, and if it works well, what we're all praying and rooting and hoping for and working for is that they would be reunited to their family. They're not orphans, but at this moment, they are vulnerable, Okay, so I hate it when people do this, but I'm going to do it to you. You know, there's a QR code on the back of your seat. And for a long time, I didn't even know it was there. Uh, And I'm a pastor of the church, right? And I sit there, I just didn't notice it. But this is the way we want to get information to you. So would you do me a favor? And just literally, if you're willing, take out your phone, open. There's no special app for this. Just open your camera app on your phone. I know it's out already, so quit pretending you're bored with me you're scrolling social media or something right so so just hit aim it at that QR code there'll come a little web page up you click it so you, your camera app shoot it click on that little website it comes up and what you're going to see you know, this is more important than just this it's because this is how we want to get information to you because if we can't do this then we got to go back to printing all those ridiculous worship folders that we used to do and it spends a lot of money and wastes a lot of paper right so this is the easiest way to do it but only if you play ball with us, right? So if this doesn't work, we'll have to figure something else out. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be something. So you, you, you just, when that website comes up, you'll see that there's two opportunities. One's the foster meeting and that all the details are there. We've said enough about it, won't say anymore. But the other is an opportunity called For Columbia, where we uh, work with churches from all around the city to help the people in our community who are vulnerable. It's the same application, the same thing we're talking about today. To help those people who are in need. It could be people in low-income housing. It could be nonprofits, It could be individual families that are struggling. And we just spread out as Christians throughout the the community that day and serve. If you've ever said to yourself, I'd like to serve, I just don't know exactly where, this could not be made easier. This is not the easiest thing. You show up, you serve for three or four hours, you meet some fun people, and you do something that's meaningful. So last day to sign up is tomorrow. I'd encourage you while you're there to sign up for the foster meeting, while you're at that webpage, sign up for the foster meeting and for Columbia. And literally do it now. You don't have to wait, do it now. But while you do it, I, 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 I want to tell you one more story. We've been to Romania and we've been to Ethiopia, but, but now we're back in Columbia. We're back in our community, mid-Missouri. This is a guy named Michael. He's the oldest kid there. He's about 15. His brothers, when this picture is taken, his his brothers are about seven and five. And they uh, ended up at Coyote Hill as part of the foster care network in uh, central Missouri. Uh, the way Michael described their ending up in foster care was due to alcoholism, abuse, and the sudden death of his mother of cancer. So they lived in Coyote Hill with foster family, foster parents, all throughout Michael's high school years. That foster family said they poured into him. They loved him. They just provided a place for him to be a high school kid. And they uh, uh, also equipped him with the skills that he would need to live life once he had to leave. Because everybody knew he had to leave eventually. At age 18, he aged out of the system. That's what they call it. He just aged out and he had to leave Coyote Hill. And about the same time, his brothers were adopted by a family. Fast forward a few years, Michael's 24 and he finds out that his brothers adopted a home. There'd been abuse involved in it. So what does Michael do? He takes his brothers in and he becomes their foster parent. So he fosters his own brothers. Why? Well, because he had been the recipient of grace and goodness by another foster family. In other words, the people had poured into him and given him an opportunity to make it through high school and to learn some things and to feel loved and appreciated and valued. And and, and so then he wanted to turn around and do that for his brothers. Do you see that's the picture of the gospel. That's what James is getting at. That's what Isaiah is getting at. that's what the Psalms are getting at. That's what Deuteronomy is getting at. Because we have received the grace and goodness of God, because we were helped when we were vulnerable, we then are like Michael. We turn around and help others. And we show joyfully, show the love of God to people in need because God showed us his love when we were in need. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your eyes that all of us would be able to see the needs of people around us. We pray for our eyes that that you would help us to see people who are vulnerable, We pray for your voice, Lord, that we would speak up for the voiceless. We pray, God, for your heart, that we would love the vulnerable. We would love those in need. We would love the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the disabled. We'd love all. We pray, God, for your hands, that you would give us strength to minister to the people that you've called us to. We pray for your wisdom, that we might know what role we should play. God, we thank you that you met us in our deepest need. We thank you, God, that when we were vulnerable, when we were in the home of the deficient and unsalvageable, that you did not pass us by, but you came and rescued us, that you came and met us there in our need. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us, Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us home to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe the gospel of his son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great Sunday.